The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I had just arrived in London at 18 and spotted this movie marquee, Meetings with Remarkable Men. The film was about the philosopher Gurdjieff, but it was the title that spoke to me. I wanted to know people like that, people changing the world by the way they lived. I've sought them out ever since, and now we'll hear from many of them on the Victoria Moran podcast, Meetings with Remarkable Women. Welcome to the podcast. Your host, Victoria Moran, author of Creating a Charmed Life, Younger by the Day, and Main Street Vegan, invites you to conversations designed to help you thrive in your body, cozy up to your soul, and use your unique gifts to change the world. Now, here's Victoria. You know how it is when you meet someone and you admire them immediately and think, okay, I'm going to file that person under A for admirable. But then they keep going and they do so many admirable things that you feel like you need a better word or a capital letter. It's like that today. We'll be speaking with a remarkable woman who's just written a remarkable book and we're going to have fun. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everybody. I'm Victoria Moran, host of this podcast and someone who seems to know lots of remarkable women to talk with. And thank you so much for being part of it. And if you want to be even a closer part, we do have a Facebook group, Victoria Moran Podcast Facebook Listeners Group, and that's the inner circle. And if you want to let me know what you'd like to hear, who you'd like to hear from, and how you would like this podcast customized a little bit more to the magnificent person that you are, please join up and participate and post, and we would love to have you over on Facebook. And right now, let us jump into this elegant episode with my guest, Chrissy Benson. She is an attorney who has been running from the law for much of her professional life. Christine Melanie Benson is also a fiction author, legal writer, nutrition coach, and host of the Vegan Posse podcast. Her debut novel, Marrying Myself, 
was released in November and features a vegan protagonist. And she is incredibly excited at the prospect of helping normalize vegan living through the arts. Currently pursuing a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling, Chrissy brings her expertise and interest in self-healing to her fiction works, as demonstrated by the strong self-help component of Marrying Myself, which both entertains and inspires readers to fall in love with the world around them, and most of all, with themselves. Chrissy, I am so girl pal in love with you, and welcome to the program. Thank you, Victoria. The feeling is mutual. (laughs) I know it is, and that makes me happy. So your book is so much fun, but I didn't know until you decided on the name that the concept of marrying oneself goes beyond your book. So tell us where that all comes from. It does go beyond the book. It's it's a concept that first occurred to me as I was writing the book. I wasn't planning definitively on titling the book, Marrying Myself, but I considered that a working title because it sounded a little just casual and blase. But the more I sat with it, the more it simmered in my subconscious, the more I realized that really is what sums up this book. And it also is a concept that has been simmering in me for a long, long time. This whole concept of loving ourselves and committing to ourselves. You know, when we marry another person, we make vows to love and honor and cherish that person and to make the relationship work, to create a happy life together. Well, the way I see it is why shouldn't we do that with ourselves? In fact, if there's anyone we should do that with, make such a commitment to, it is ourselves. And so that's where this book came from. So I love that marrying myself is a story and it's also an allegory and a a notion that people can hopefully carry with them um, once they close the book and go out into the world and live their lives. I love that idea. And I'm thinking about some of the tips that are often given for relationships, you know, never go to bed angry, things like that. We could do those things with ourselves. And, uh, I think really, really benefit. So let's back up a little bit, Chrissy, so that people can get to know you and then we'll cycle back to the book and some of these many other exciting things that you are doing. (laughs) So when you were very young, you made a decision to enter the law. And I think you think perhaps another decision might've been better. Tell us about (laughs) that. Yeah, it's, I I try not to have regrets, but, you know, I do question that decision. It was growing up, I was a storyteller. I was a writer. It didn't even cross my mind to wonder whether I was a writer because I was just writing. I was writing stories, plays, songs, poems, you name it. I was just coming up with it. And it didn't even occur to me to do anything else. But then when I entered my teen years and you know, started struggling with some adolescent angst and also with some food issues and just your typical insecurities that I think are a little compounded if you're by nature self-reflective like I am. Um, I really lost lost touch with that artist part of myself and 
kind of tried to get more practical. And I'd always had an interest in the law. I definitely still do. I love the law. There's, there's so much fascinating about it to me. And I also love structure and order that makes sense and that helps enhance the world rather than restrict it. Um, so I do have an interest in the law, but again, I always wanted to be a writer. Um, that said, I had in my head that no one actually makes it as a writer. And so I thought, well, I'll go to law school. Everybody told me, you like to argue, you should go to law school. And at that point in my life, I was floundering a little bit. I'd been out of college for a year or two, had worked a couple of different jobs. I lived in Washington, D.C., in London, then in San Francisco. And everybody else I knew at that point in time who didn't know what to do with themselves was going to law school. And so I thought, I'll go to law school too. And um, I did. I ended up at University of Tulsa in Oklahoma. They offered me a very generous scholarship and had a program I was interested in. So that's, that's how it all came about. And law school was, it was fun to be back in school because again, the law is really interesting to me. And it was cool to be learning and to be kind of getting back in the academic groove. But it wasn't until after law school, shortly after graduating, I was on a retreat, kind of a personal development retreat. And I had a notebook that was intended for journaling. And instead, I started writing a book, <laughs> which was not marrying myself. It's another book that I will finish one of these days. But that's when I got back in touch with the artist part of myself. And I have determined never to lose track of that, that inner part of me again. Fascinating. I think that a lot of people leave the law, a lot of people leave lots of professions. And the ones who do it most successfully are the ones who are able to self-reflect. And it sounds like you started doing that early on back at that retreat <laughs> and that that has, has continued. So now you're in graduate school again for clinical mental health counseling. So lawyer, author, shrink? <laughs> exactly. Well, when you think about it, a lawyer is technically a counselor. That's, that's one thing that lawyers are called. So I'm becoming a counselor of a different sort. So it's not really a huge change. It's a change in the credentials, but the role isn't that different because again, you're in a position of offering guidance and counsel. And I think in the law, like I did appreciate that aspect of being a lawyer, being able to advocate for people and being able to explore the relevant issues and determine, okay, what's important here? What's relevant? But I feel that I can do that more effectively on a personal level, on an individual one-to-one -one level than in some sort of business lawyer world where it's generally a conflict about money. <laughs> money is great. Money is great. I, I like money and I like having money. But at the end of the day, I really think it's our inner worlds that are more interesting to me. So that's what I plan to explore in the counseling realm. Well, I know that as long as I have known you, which has been since 2014, when you came to Main Street Vegan Academy, I've known that you've had a passion for personal growth. And that actually is part of the underlying message of your wonderful kind of anti-romance romance novel, <laughs> Marrying Myself. So tell us a little bit about that. 
Yes. Um, it's a journey that never ends. And I think that's something that I'm only really coming to appreciate now because back in the day when I was struggling with my food issues and my self-doubt and all my insecurities, I really wanted to get to this safe resting point where I was finished, where I was fixed, where I was done and I could just rest easy and relax. And now I've come to realize, number one, I don't think such a point necessarily exists. And number two, it's really fun to keep learning and growing and exploring and to view the world as more of a playground and place of discovery than as this hostile universe that I need to navigate very carefully. Otherwise, I'll be zapped. We wouldn't want that to happen. So I know that your protagonist is vegan, and this is not the only novel with a vegan protagonist. There is starting to be a little genre uh, within fiction of, of vegan fiction. But in the case of Marrying Myself, is your protagonist you? She is not me. She's definitely not me. There are definitely differences. She's her own person. She's her own person. Um, I feel very strongly about that with my characters. They're their own people. And sometimes the things that they would do would surprise me. And to me, the writing process was basically just sitting down and letting my characters do their thing. So Julia Jones, the protagonist of Marrying Myself, is not me. That said, she's definitely someone I relate to, I think I would relate to in real life. And I definitely bring parts of myself to her. I became vegan in the course of writing Marrying Myself. I was not vegan when I started writing the book. I believe I was vegetarian or very, very close to vegetarian. But once I became vegan, I couldn't even implicitly endorse a lifestyle that involved consuming animal products, you know, the, the products of such suffering and torture in this sociopathic food system we've got here in the US and around the world. So Julia, for that reason, became vegan. And then veganism just came to really become interwoven in the plot. It is not the focus of the book by any stretch, but it does play an integral role in the novel. And I won't give too much away, but it's a key component in the ultimate big reveal. <laughs> so in, in your case, if not Julia's, what caused you to go from almost vegetarian to vegan? Mm. Yeah, like a lot of people, it was it was a messy sort of slow process. You went you went vegan so early and so young. You really got it very early on, which I admire tremendously. I was more of a bumbler. I was, um, I just turned 40. I was in my early 40s. I'd moved to New York City. I'd been vegetarian for a long time. And I was a committed vegetarian, but also an ignorant one. And then as a little more information began creeping in about the dairy industry, and especially about the egg industry, about the conditions in which egg-laying hens are forced to live, I just became increasingly uncomfortable continuing to consume those products. And it was this niggling feeling at my conscience that was driving me crazy. I did not want to go vegan. I was very reluctant to go vegan. I was a very non-vegan vegetarian. I ate tons of 
what I considered healthy dairy, non-fat Greek yogurt and egg whites and fat-free cheese and all these processed non-fat dairy products. So I really had no interest in going vegan. But again, the more information that crept in, the more I realized I was just never going to be okay with this. I was never going to be able to justify this in my own mind. And I knew myself well enough to know that I just was not going to be able to live with that niggling feeling at my conscience. So I literally remember thinking to myself, I'm going to have to do this eventually, meaning go vegan. So I may as well just do it now. <laughs> and I was living in New York City and made the transition a little gradually. I still had a bunch of dairy products in my refrigerator at home. So I, I told myself, well, I'll finish those things and then I just won't buy anything new. And it really was a struggle for the first three weeks or so. It really felt so difficult and so overwhelming to the extent that I didn't know I was going to be able to keep it up. I remember sending an email to my brother who's, um, currently a vegan at the time he was also a vegetarian. And I remember writing to him saying, you know, I've given this a real shot, but I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep doing this. I've, I've, I've given it a real go and I fought the good fight, but I think I might have to just go back to being a regular vegetarian. And then it was just really interesting. All of a sudden things sort of exploded in a good way. As you know, living in New York city is just really helpful when it comes to being exposed to amazing opportunities in the vegan world and the non-vegan world as well. But it so happens that the documentary Vegucated premiered in New York City right around that time. And I went to see that. Um, that was, you know, really had an impact on me. It chronicles the journey of three people who agree to go vegan for six weeks and become vegucated, learn about the food industry and health and the environment, and then decide whether they want to stay vegan or not. So that movie had an impact on me. I went to see the movie Forks Over Knives, which I had no conception of going into it. I was all geared up for a hardcore animal rights movie, and it turned out it was all about health. Um, but that was my first inkling that, oh, not only can you be healthy on a vegan diet, but in fact, it's the optimal diet for human health. And I'd always had what I considered a separate interest in nutrition, um, but then I came to see that, wow, that interest in nutrition completely overlaps with my interest in justice and compassion and ethical living. And so a whole bunch of worlds just started to intersect. And it also happened that there was an online conference happening called Vegan Palooza, which I don't know if that's happened since, but it was a week-long online conference. And I was at a job where I basically just sat at a computer and could listen to things on my headphones all day long. So I listened to Vegan Palooza and heard just dozens of amazing speakers on all kinds of vegan topics. And it really had an impact on me. I, I was so impressed and I learned so much. And coming away from that conference, I just was a believer. <laughs> I was a zealot. As, a, as I like to say, I became radicalized via the internet <laughs> when it came to veganism.
I think that's how most people do it these days. <laughs> and it's so interesting when you said that you'd been interested in nutrition and you were so gratified to find out that your interest in veganism was going to overlap with that. I think it was Chase Avior, a wonderful animal activist who's pretty active on Instagram, had posted not long ago just the very simple, these are the facts about how animals are treated and killed, about health and nutrition, about antibiotic resistance and zoonotic diseases and water and air pollution and global warming and world hunger. You know, just fact, 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 fact about why humanity has passed the time when it was ever reasonable to consume other animals. Mm. And I read that, you would read that and say, yeah, it's just a bunch of facts. But other people read it and they're just like, eh, no. What do you do with that? I guess it's called cognitive dissonance. Right. It's it's interesting. I think that's the that's the question that we vegans ask all the time. And that's been sort of the core of all of the vegan and animal rights conferences I've ever been to. What's the silver bullet? What is it that we can say to people that will help them see, that will help them understand? And I, if there were a silver bullet, the whole world would be vegan. So I think the short answer is you can't really do anything, but at the same time, you never know because even something that that doesn't seem to affect a person in the moment still can plant a seed so that the next time they see it, they do absorb it or perhaps the time after that. So there's no telling. That's one thing that I've really learned in my vegan journey and also my experience in vegan activism is that sometimes the people who you least expect to be open to this will suddenly become willing and, and go vegan. For instance, I had that experience at a law firm where I was working in New York City. There was this project manager who was this young guy. He was Italian and he used to just give me a really hard time about being vegan um, to the extent I would walk past his desk and he'd, he'd say to me, tell me again why you don't eat meat. <laughs> and, and I would say to him, well, tell me why you do. I actually think that's the more relevant question. And he would say, well, I was, I was born into it. I'm not going to change now. And I would just say, okay, you know, I'm not going to touch that with a 10 foot pole. I, I know a losing, a losing game when I see it, I'm not going to waste my breath. And then one day out of nowhere, he came up to me in the lobby of our building up in midtown Manhattan and looked at me and said, I want to do a plant-based diet. I just stared at him. I think my jaw hit the floor. And I said, what? You know, who, who are you? And he said, I don't want to hear about the animals. I don't care about the animal stuff. It's purely about health. Um, but I want to try this. And I said, okay, you know, I'll, I'll support you however I can. And I'm thinking in the back of my mind, this isn't going to last 24 hours because this guy is the most anti-vegan person I, I'd ever encountered. And then one day at a time, he would, he would continue to do it. I remember Thanksgiving was coming up and he came up to me in the office before Thanksgiving. He said, um, I don't want to miss the whole holiday tradition. I didn't want to participate. And I'd say, 
okay, whatever, whatever you feel like you need to do. And I didn't press him or push him at all, but I would say, you know, one time back when I was dabbling in vegetarianism, I decided to eat turkey on Thanksgiving. And then right afterwards, I didn't feel any happier. I didn't feel any more festive. I didn't feel any more connected. And I realized, yeah, it wasn't giving me what I hoped it would give me. Um, and then Thanksgiving came and went and he hadn't eaten the turkey. And again, every day it was something. One time I, again, I walked past his desk and he said, this vegan thing is too much. I think I just need a balanced diet. And I said, oh, just the right amount of poison. <laughs> and, he, and he looked at me and said, okay. <laughs> and then, you know, I, I don't know where he is now, to be honest, this was some years ago, but about a year had passed and he hadn't deviated from, he had, I think had some dairy, some trace dairy in, you know, baked products here and there, but he hadn't eaten meat. And for the most part, he'd stuck to eating um, whole food plant-based. So again, to me, it's just, you never know. And then on the other end of the spectrum, sometimes there are these people and I encounter this sort all the time, people who seem so close to going vegan, they agree with you. They're curious, they're intrigued, and then they just never do it. <laughs> so it's, there's just no telling. I mean, human nature is, is a complex quandary at times and there's no telling what anyone's going to do. And so, as I see it, all we can do is just provide that power of example, plant seeds, speak up when our conscience directs us to, and then just live our lives. And I think that's very good. Maybe some of those people that we think are going to switch and don't just need a good novel. So <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's all it takes. Yes. And I know something else that we share in this context, Chrissy, is a burning interest in the history and philosophy of vegetarianism, veganism. Mm. And one thing I find doing Main Street Vegan Academy is how educated the people are who come to take the course. They know about animal issues. They know about nutrition. They know so much about the environment that can actually be complex, but people come already very schooled in all this, but they have no idea that there actually is a history to this thing, that it didn't just start with PETA in 1980 or Dean Ornish and reversing heart disease in 1990, that it goes back well into antiquity. And to me, this is absolutely fascinating to trace and follow. And there are so many interesting little kind of side stories about colonial America and uh, 19th century Britain. So tell me some of your favorite historic stuff as a vegan. Mm, yeah, well, like you said, I definitely share that passion. And in fact, part of what sparked it was an event in New York City shortly after I'd gone vegan. Um, I believe you also knew the vegan historian Rin, Rin Berry. Yes, absolutely. That, yes. And he, he died um, rather suddenly, which was, which was very, very sad. And then there was an, a memorial event for him in New York City that I was invited to. And I believe you were at that event as well. I was. And it was at that event that I first started to glean 
the really incredible history of veganism and all of the amazing people throughout history who were vegan or vegetarian or who really thought deeply about these issues. And so it was literally at that event that I just really got a sense of myself as a part of that history. And just, it made me feel so good and so, so humble and also proud to be aligned with some of the noblest figures in history who had also arrived at the conclusion that it's wrong to exploit and eat other sentient beings. Um, everyone from Pythagoras to Leonardo da Vinci, I believe Benjamin Franklin was a vegetarian. Henry David Thoreau was on and off vegetarian, but definitely philosophically aligned with veganism. And it was at that event that I first just got an awareness of this, of this bigger picture. And I just found it so validating that these people that I'd admired and just regarded as, you know, truly great people in history had, had thought about this. And like I said, had come to that same conclusion, because I think early on as a vegetarian, and even as an early vegan, I thought of veganism as sort of a fluff issue, sort of a luxury issue. Like, yes, it's wrong what we're doing to animals, but there probably are more dire catastrophes happening in the world than this. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to do this because I don't think it's right to do it, but I understand why people focus on, on more, more egregious harms that are happening in the world. And then as I became more educated in veganism, um, partly through watching documentaries and then also reading books, you know, I read Peter Singer's philosophy treatise, animal liberation, and Will Tuttle's book, The World Peace Diet. And I, 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 was, I was a voracious vegan reader. I read so many books that really explore these issues on a really, really deep level. And I came to realize, no, this is not only not a fluff issue, but it's at the core of all the other wrongs that we perpetuate as humans, because we get our practice all the horrible things we do for to humans, we we've generally done to non-human animals first. <laughs> you know, we've enslaved them and injected them with antibiotics and other med so-called medical treatments. We've, you know, killed them and uh, genetically altered them for our own uses. And so all of these things that are, <laughs> that are now happening in the world to humans, um, we've done to animals first. And Will Tuttle's book, The World's Peace Diet, really helped me see that, okay, we've got a violent food system. Our whole food system is based on violence. Violence isn't just incidental to it, it's inherent in it. So that's troubling. Um, and that's something that most regular people out in the world don't really think about, don't really acknowledge. But Will Tuttle in his book, he takes it one step further and notes that, okay, this violent food system didn't just pop out, pop up out of nowhere. 
it requires certain mindsets and attitudes to sustain it and to cultivate it in the first place. Mindsets like might makes right and this attitude of exclusionism and, and privilege, this you know feeling of superiority that we have and our tendency sometimes to enjoy feeling like we're part of some select group that has rights and privileges that other groups don't have. And so his book really helped me see, okay, our violent food system is a symptom of these other issues. And it really helped me see, okay, for one, the self, the self-reflection and the self-work never ends because I may be vegan, but I still sometimes engage in these problematic attitudes. And it also helps me have compassion for people who are still participating in this horrific food system because his book helped me see that they're the products of conditioning. You know, none of us, none of us chose to start eating these products. None of us as kids, you know, set out to say, I would like to see an animal tortured and then I would like to eat that. We're just given this food and then we're trained and conditioned not to think about where that food came from. And so we're indoctrinated from a very early age to shut down our inherent compassion, to shut down our critical thinking and to not ask questions three times a day, just to shut up and shovel stuff into our mouths um, without question. And so Will Tuttle's book really helped me see, okay, the people who are doing this, they're victims. You know, they're victims. And all we can do is start trying to undo that conditioning and plant some seeds and allow them to blossom into their own self-awareness and their own ability to question, okay, now that I have the capacity as an adult to live in accordance with my own values, how do I want to eat? Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Sorry, that was a long, that was a long pontification. <laughs> you really got me thinking, thinking philosophically here. Well, and that's cool. And, and thank you for being one of the ones who has looked at this and thought about it and made changes. It's, it's one person at a time and one mm-hmm. person at a time can change the world. <laughs> So, Chrissy, whenever I get together with you, there's always so much to talk about. And I see now that we're more than halfway through our time together, and I want to be sure that I cover everything. So let's, by all means, talk about the vegan posse, 
your yeah. still fairly new podcast that's on uh, Apple Podcasts and elsewhere. And we'll put those links in the show notes at victoriamoran.com. So who do you talk at at Vegan Posse? <laughs> well, I talk to people like you. You are my most recent guest. So I hope that people will check out that episode. But I love I love talking to interesting people. And I've found that vegans are often some of the most interesting people out there. And I really wanted to just help the world at large see that we vegans are out there doing all kinds of interesting things. I think there's this perception that sometimes vegans are just sitting at home all day watching PETA videos or you know, occasionally making an outing to some health food store to buy flax or something. Um, and so I just wanted the world to see that, okay, vegans are doing lots of cool things. And also in my own vegan travels and adventures, I've just met so many fascinating, really admirable people. And I didn't want those conversations to go to waste. So I decided to capture them on this podcast. And yes, it still is new. So it's, there's definitely a big learning curve, but it's been so much fun to reach out to people and just get to talk to people, hear their vegan stories. And I also think it's so important for us vegans to realize that even though it often feels like we're swimming upstream, we're navigating this world that has no clue, <laughs> no clue about this whole parallel universe of suffering that's happening. And, and yet I just want vegans to realize that even though we may feel like outliers, we're actually everywhere. And there are people around the globe thinking about these things and focusing on compassion and integrity and justice. And so I love the word posse and I love the reference to a group of individuals who's organized to keep the peace. Um, and to me, that's perfectly apt for us vegans because we're not just keeping the peace, we're creating it through our food choices and beyond. So hence the vegan posse. I love that. We're not just keeping the peace, we're creating it. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, words. Words are good, aren't they, Chrissy? They are so, so good. Yes. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about health. Because I know that you are a health coach and I know that you are a Main Street Vegan certified vegan lifestyle coach and educator. And I'm interested in your approach to health, your approach to nutrition. Because sometimes people think it's very monolithic and there's only one way to be a healthy plant-based person. I've seen a lot in my many, many years. And I think that you know, some different strokes may apply. Where do you come down on all that? Yeah, it really is interesting how much people can vary. Even, even everybody who considers themselves a whole food plant-based, we like different foods. For instance, I can't stand bananas. You know, I just, I just hate them. I think they're disgusting. So that rules out a lot of smoothies, a lot of, a lot of dishes that plenty of other vegans think are great. So that's just a trivi trivial example. But the bottom line is there's really an endless variety of food that's out there. So I tend to follow a whole food plant-based diet. I will have the occasional dessert or processed food, you know, if I'm on the road or 
out at a restaurant. Um, but for the most, most part, I adhere to a whole food plant-based diet. And what I love about that is, well, number one, the research really supports the whole food plant-based diet as, as the diet for preventing and reversing heart disease and cancer and all of our chronic Western diseases. I feel like a whole food plant-based diet really gives us the best shot at long-term health and quality of life. And then as a recovering compulsive overeater and someone who struggled for a long time with binge eating and overeating and weight, it was a revelation to me to discover that when I'm eating whole plant foods, so healthy vegan foods without added sugars and oils, that it's almost physically impossible for me to consume more calories than my body needs. So even if I eat to the point of being uncomfortably full, I'll wake up the next day feeling, feeling good and I won't be gaining weight. And so that was just fascinating to me because for years I had gotten help for my compulsive overeating in a way that encouraged me to eat mindfully and try not to eat when I wasn't hungry and try not to eat point past the point of being full and just to really be reflective and, and all of this stuff. And I think all of those techniques are great and they can really foster self-awareness and they're worthwhile practices, but they didn't really help me with my eating and my weight. Um, they were maybe a more sophisticated form of self-help. But when I came to realize that, okay, if I just eat the right foods, the quantities will sort themselves out. My health will sort itself out. My weight will sort itself out. And even if I, again, I like, I like quantity, you know, it's, it's true. I'm not one of those gourmet refined eaters that, you know, can have this tiny little plate and just savor it on my palate for, you know, two minutes and then be satisfied. I, I like, I like bulk. I like quantity. I like good hearty foods in generous portions. And so I just love that eating whole food plant-based just takes the struggle out of it all. It just makes it so easy and just so much more relaxed. It just really simplified my life and there's so many amazing foods out there. So that's what I love about it too, is I came to realize, okay, so I could be eating a bunch of food that's going to make me feel sick and gain weight, or I can be eating a bunch of food that's going to make me healthy and still taste really good. Not quite in the same dopamine triggering way that the junk foods and the animal foods and the highly processed foods will do, but that's still going to be really, really delicious. And it's going to promote my wellness and my health. And so it really became a no-brainer. It's having it all, isn't it? Yes, yes. Because I found the same thing as you know, and, and most of the listeners know, I also had a long history uh, with uh, compulsive overeating, binge eating, obesity, overweight, dieting, skinniness. <laughs> back to obesity, all yeah. of that. And I really thought that going vegan would make it worse. 
because mm. it's like, oh boy, you're going to be eating all those carbs. Wow. But what I discovered was exactly what you've discovered. It's just not an issue. And because I still sometimes help people who are struggling with that, I have to really get still and enter back into how it mm. was back yeah. then. Yeah. Because it would be easy if I were just coming from my current state of consciousness mm -hmm. to just say, well, but why don't you? And then it's like, uh-uh, no, no, can't say that. Because right. in the consciousness right. that they're in and that I was in, it is impossible not to binge. But in this other yeah. state of consciousness, it would be impossible to do it. And yeah. so leading people out of that is just so gratifying. Are those most of the kinds of people that you're coaching? Is that what they're looking for? Freedom with food? Yes. Yes. And the people that I especially love to coach are ethical vegans who are looking to up their game when it comes to their health. Um, those are probably my, my favorite niche of clients because I know going into it, we're on the same page ethically and in terms of compassion and disrespect for non-human animals. And as I see it, if anyone deserves to feel good in their bodies, it's these people who are already eating ethically and doing their best to promote love and compassion in the world. And so they're the people more than anyone that ought to feel good in their bodies. And so I really love to like you said, lead, lead people to freedom when it comes to food and also just to, just to that state of really coming to love their body and being, being at home in their bodies. Because, you know, as I see it, there, there are two places that we are all the time and we never leave. <laughs> so number one is the earth. <laughs> we're on this planet. You know, that's, that's where we're, that's where we are for now. And there aren't any other viable options at this moment in time. And the other place that we are and never leave is our own bodies. We wake up in our bodies. We go to sleep in our bodies. We, you know, barring out of body experiences, we're in our bodies all the time. So if our body is not a place where we feel comfortable and feel safe and love being, then we're never going to feel at home. And so I love just bringing, bringing the spirit and the body into alignment, you know, having them serve each other because they are part and parcel of the same consciousness, the same being that is us. Um, and again, more than anything, I've always craved that safe resting place, that place of refuge, that place where I can just rest and, and be. And my body has become that for me. That is lovely. And I'm sure that anybody that works with you is very lucky indeed. So Christine's website is christinemelaniebenson.com. And that's Christine, C-H-R-I-S. But again, we'll put all that in our show notes at uh, victoriamoran.com. So finally, Chrissy, as we wind down, I know that something that you find interesting is the concept of the vegan lens, that once we're willing to see this world of animal suffering that our culture hides really well, 
we often end up noticing other things that don't quite add up. <laughs> you want to finish on mm. that? That's that's a bit of a rabbit hole. So I won't I won't go too deep down that one. Um, but yes, I really I really do find that an interesting paradigm, just this vegan lens, because I feel like there was this whole other world that I wasn't seeing, the world of non-human animals. And part of why I wasn't seeing it and part of why most people don't see it is that it is actively hidden from us. We're not, we're not meant to see it because if we were to see it more regularly, chances are we'd rebel against it. Um, but yeah, the, the vegan lens, just the whole, the whole concept of seeing the unseen, noticing the unnoticed and asking questions. To me, that's the biggest thing that I'm grateful for. And really at the end of the day, that's how I feel about being vegan. Yes, it, it has its challenges, but ultimately I really feel like one of the lucky people that for whatever reason, I asked enough questions. Like I've read that Leonardo da Vinci did when his parents, when he was maybe five or seven years old, they served him a plate of food that had a chicken breast on it. And he said to them, what is that? <laughs> Where did it come from? And they explained it to him. And he said, I'll have none of that. He didn't want anything to do with killing a chicken. And he asked those questions. And so to me, that's the biggest lesson from my vegan journey is, okay, what other questions are there? What other questions do I have? What other questions can I ask? And then it's also always very interesting to me to see people's reaction when I do ask certain questions. And over the past several years, there are certain questions that <laughs> really asking them has, has been very frowned upon. Um, and that's a huge red flag to me around many issues. But again, to me, that's, it's that capacity for curiosity and just exploration. It's, it's a joy and it can, can lead us into unexpected territory. But for instance, that's how T. Colin Campbell went down his path of writing the China study. You know, he set out to prove, hoping to prove the beneficial nutritional aspects of dairy and his research led him in a different direction. So I just really appreciate just the awareness that veganism has given me that there are things that I'm probably not noticing. And if I sit back and get quiet and observe, then maybe I have some questions about these things and maybe I can discover some very interesting things. And again, there's no telling where that process or journey will lead me sometimes. Sometimes it's places I, I don't expect, but I just love the lifelong learning and discovery that veganism has imbued in me. And again, I, I just feel very lucky. I feel very lucky that on a regular basis, I'm eating foods that I feel good about. I don't have doubts. I don't live in fear of getting cancer or heart disease or some unexpected bug. Yes, anything can happen. We're, we're humans and we're frail and we're we're living in finite human bodies. So that's a reality. But at the same time, I feel like I've given myself the best, the best odds possible with how I'm living and 
I'm eating in a way that doesn't damage my endothelial cells or my conscience. And that's, that's just fantastic. I love it and feel grateful. That's so cool. And I feel lucky to know you. So thank you, Chrissy Benson, for your curiosity and your courage and your delightful novel, Marrying Myself. Everybody read it. You'll love it, whether you're married to yourself or somebody else or <laughs> just kind of thinking about those things. So Chrissy, bless your heart. We will continue this at another time. Thank you, Victoria. It's been a pleasure. Hey, listeners, our little time together. Ah, another person I'm crazy about. And the book is really, really fun. I am going to be reading it on an airplane. <laughs> I've started it and it's great. But when I fly down to the Southwest Florida VegFest on the 19th of February, uh, that's going to be my plane book. And I'm really, really looking forward to it. And if you are in that uh, Fort Myers part of the world, do check out the Southwest Florida Veg Fest in Bonita Springs. I'm going to be one of the speakers. And so is Dr. T. Colin Campbell, the legend uh, mentioned in this conversation and mentioned just about everywhere that people talk about good health and, and good nutrition. So I do want to let you know about something coming up that I am doing that I just so hope you'll want to be part of, and that is the Acing Age with Ayurveda Retreat, which is happening on February 11th and 12th, and I know people listen to podcasts long years into the future, so we're talking February 11th and 12th of 2023, and it's acing age with Ayurveda, so yeah, probably you'll want to be 45 or something over, over that uh, to really feel like you need it. But what is so cool about Ayurveda and the aging process is that these, this wonderful ancient Indian healthcare and self-care system knows something about aging that nobody else knows. And that is that as we get into the older years, kind of post-menopausal, certainly post-60, we're all getting more vata. And if you're familiar with the uh, Ayurvedic body types, you know that uh, vata is one of the three. The others are pitta and kapha. And not only do these types show up in our DNA for the type of body and psychology we have for this lifetime. They also govern times of life. So in childhood, we're more kappa, in what would be considered the prime of life, the kind of uh, post-education until retirement area, we're, we're more pitta. But then as vata comes in, there are so many things that we can do that nobody is talking about to really turn back the clock or make time stand still. And I am just so excited about getting to share that with you in our retreat on February 11th and 12th via Zoom. So here is how you can get more information. It is tinyurl.com slash ageless Ayurveda. And Ayurveda is spelled A-Y-U-R-V-E-D-A. 
So that's tinyurl.com slash agelessayurveda. And you could also go to victoriamoran.com and read about the retreat there as well. And also, we talked a lot about veganism today, and Chrissy Benson is one of my wonderful Main Street Vegan Academy graduates. If you are vegan and would like to up your game with the Main Street Vegan Academy, Vegan Lifestyle Coach and Educator Certification, we will be having our next course starting in September of 2023, and you can check all of that out at MainStreetVegan.com. So. Thanks for listening. Please feel free to be in touch, to join the Victoria Moran podcast listeners group on Facebook, and to just hang out on social media or wherever else you can find me. I want to know you. I want to know what you're up to. I want to know what makes you a remarkable person. So uh, time now, I guess, for both of us to go on out and be remarkable. Take care. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can learn more about Victoria or contact her at victoriamoran.com. Be part of her inner circle by joining the Victoria Moran podcast listeners group on Facebook. And if you're a vegan looking to up your game, check out Victoria's acclaimed training and certification program, Main Street Vegan Academy at mainstreetvegan.com. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw, and on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.